Welcome to the Hoosey Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this week's show, we're back after a couple of weeks break, and this time we are doing a Target novelisation, and we are doing Planet of Fire, a Fifth Doctor story. Now, because um, we actually thought we hadn't done a Fifth Doctor story for a while, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, rather, we, we I haven't did. done one for a while, it's just... <laughs> well, no, the last one, well, I forgot, the last one we did was actually <laughs> The Awakening. <Yeah. laughs> so we're doing another, we're doing another Fifth Doctor story. So We liked uh, it so much, we came back for more. Well, it was just the, the, the you know the fact that I got to see Nicola Bright in a bikini again. That was that was it really. That's that's what... <laughs> to warm you up on a cold January day. <laughs> that's what swung it for me. That's what I'm going to say. Right, okay. Um, let's do some news then. Um, obviously there is a <laughs> there's some stuff to talk about now. Um, unfortunately, since we were last with you, um, another loss uh, to the Doctor Who world has happened. Robert Banks Stewart. Um, died at the age of 84. Now, for those of you who don't know Robert Banks Stewart, he wrote, I think, probably two of the most important and classic serials for Doctor Who, Terror of the Zygons and The Seeds of Doom, which are just like, unlike anything else, I think, yeah. from from that particular time of the show. It really was. Everything was about them was just totally different. Um, created two classic um, monsters within the songs and um, and the crinoids, but not only that, one of the best villains as well, Harrison Chase, as well. Um, but not only that, I mean the, the other things he's written for 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 British television shouldn't go, oh. you know, you know, which we can't really talk about without mentioning these really, because he also created one of your favourite series, didn't he? Yes, shoestring. Shoestring. Yes. Have you watched the DVDs yet? By the way. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, no. There's only one DVD. They still won't release series two. Really? Wow. But um, mainly because I think you've got to remember it was set around a radio station. Mm. So thus, a lot of the background noise to it is is records. Oh. And I suspect it costs quite a bit to get the rights to all the records to release them as a DVD. I'm quite sure Pickety Witch would be glad of the free airtime, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect so, but no, I, I, that's the only reason I can think of I, I, the, the, for why there hasn't been. I suspect Series 1 didn't sell more than the odd copy to me, and, uh, and on that basis it wasn't worth them forking out all the extra money for to get to clear all the royalties for Series 2. Oh. That's very, very weird, so, actually. Well, um, obviously after just waiting for the BBC to reshow it at some point. <laughs> well, not, well, because uh, Trevor Eve declined to do a third series um, of uh, Shoestring, um, then he come up with Bergerac, yes, which, which ran on for nine years, immensely popular, immensely popular. I didn't also didn't know he um, he produced um, the first or the worst first is a Love Joy. He produced and adapted uh, the Darling Buds of May. Which introduced Catherine Zeta-Jones to the world. He actually, uh, he actually was instrumental in her, in her casting. 
mm. actually. Um, Something else you're thankful for. Oh, yes, I am. She, she was, um, before she disappeared up her own backside, yeah, she was uh, rather, rather lovely, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, but not only that, you wrote for Danger Man, Human Jungle, Top Secret, The Sweeney, The Avengers, um, and you also wrote for Arthur of the Britons, if you remember that one as well, Paul. Mm. Was it Oliver Tobias, wasn't it? Yes, I think so. Yes, yeah. I think it was. I, I really, I remember enjoying that a lot when I was a kid watching that. But uh, yeah, so I've, I've, I mean, a, a great loss, but what a legacy to leave behind. Yeah, as I can say, what a legacy. Uh, now on to um, Celia Ward's news. Um, series nine of Doctor Who has been um, voted best reviewed TV sci-fi fantasy stroke horror series of twenty fifteen on the site Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's basically won a Golden Tomato Award. Is that like the Golden Raspberry Award? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's an annual event. It's the first time I've heard of it. Um, and it awards series with the highest ratings based on reviews submitted to the uh, to their website. Um, so apparently this um, series scored an average of 4.5 to 5. And remarkable, it says here, 100% positive rating from approved critics. Huh. I need the approved critics. Yes. Well, I'd, I'd like to know where our email went for that one, Paul. That's all I can say. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, but it also be like approved schools. <laughs> it must be. Maybe our Ofsted rating's not good enough. Is what I'm going to say. <laughs> yes, um, it beat Game of Thrones, which came in second. Um, Daredevil came in third. Um, Ash versus Evil Dead and Hannibal taking fourth and fifth places, respectively. So, and it was also uh, came fourth. Uh, Doctor Who, that is, uh, came fourth in the best returning TV shows category. Oh. Uh. I didn't even know that existed. Oh. Maybe they'd like to pay for us to go out to the States to receive the the, uh, the awards on their behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that'll happen? No. No. Okay. Um, wait, is, is, that, is that it for the news then, Paul? Is, is that it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, no, no. Sorry. They, the Doctor Who didn't win the ITV Choice Awards, did he? Oh, yes. The National Television Awards. Yes, he didn't, he didn't yes. win that either, did it? No, oh. um, unfortunately. Uh, what did Downton won it, didn't it? Yeah, I didn't watch the awards myself actually because um, I, <laughs> I just thought I'd just watch out for the tweets who won it, and if, if you know if, if the uh, the usual suspects on my Twitter feed going to meltdown, then I know Doctor Who's won. And it didn't, so no. there you go. Um, yeah, there's nothing else to talk about, is there, Paul? No, that, that is no, it. No, should, no, should... Nothing else happened in your Twitter feed at all, did it this week? No, not at all, not at all. Oh no, hang on, hang on. Stephen Moffat, Do you remember? That, that, oh, that, no, there was some little bit, weren't there? That little bit popped up about Stephen Moffat quitting Doctor Who after Series 10. Yeah. 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 Oh, dear. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. This is the, the big news that's, that sort of came out what, three three days ago, as we recalled. Um, yeah, Stephen Moffat announced, or rather, the, the, I don't know if he announced, or the BBC actually w- w- announced um, that... I think actually the Radio Times It was. I think it, I think it might. I think you're right. That's the link I put up on, on Facebook and, and Twitter anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, Stephen Moffat is going to bow out um, as the showrunner of Doctor Who um, at the end of Series 10 and is going to be replaced by Chris Chibnall. Hmm. Um, yeah, now that, I must admit, I didn't see coming. We, we, I know we spoke, I think the last time we recorded, actually, Stephen Moffat was saying he was actively looking for his replacement. Um, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be Chris Chibnall. I think about two or three years ago, I think he was favourite, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And then has done. He hasn't really. He hasn't worked on Doctor Who since Series no, Seven, has he? He's just sort of been committed to Broadchurch most of the time yeah, since exactly. then, hasn't he? 
and he's doing right. a, th- a third series of that. Um, so I don't know whether that's good or bad that he's actually had a break from it to come back fresh rather than having been part of the the scene for the last couple of years. It may be, may be a good thing that he comes to it. It may be. It may having, be having gone away and done something. Yeah, I, totally I, different. I think it's met with a lot of derision um, from certain quarters because I mean. Um, and I must—I'm going to be perfectly honest here. I haven't—I'm not the biggest fan of his his scripts for Doctor Who so no. far. Um, they, they all seem to contain voiceovers for a start. So I think someone joked that you know, every single episode um, of, of series eleven will start with a voiceover. Um, but yeah, I—it I, does mean to say it's going to be a bad showrunner though. So I'm going to give give the man the benefit of the doubt. Really, he could be utterly fantastic, and I think. I think the thing that everyone's sort of agreed on it's it's time for a change. Yeah. It is time for a change, yeah. Really, and that's what Doctor Who's all about. Anyway, it's a sad fact that Stephen Moffat's leaving. I don't know how you feel about it, Paul, but I think a lot of people are saying I'm glad he's gone. But no, I'm, I'm not saying I'm glad he's gone. No, I'm not. I wouldn't have minded him just taking a bit more of a backseat on the writing side of it. Yes, yes, same here, same here. Just concentrate on you know the executive producing side yeah. of things and script editing. Yeah, and, and and leave it at that. Um, maybe that's what Chibnall will do. Who knows? We we know yeah. nothing other than this announcement. And that's it. However, off the back of this, though, we are only going to get one new episode of Doctor Who this year, and that is the Christmas special because sure. Series Ten is going to be broadcast in the spring of two thousand and seventeen, and Chris Chibnall won't take over until two thousand and eighteen. It's a Not fair... that I've been saying that that's what's going to be happening. Well, yes, yeah, so I think, I think I... we've known for that for a while. Yes. The fact that I hadn't started doing anything. Yes, I think I was in uh, denial for a bit on on that one. Yeah. Secretly hoping that they would squeeze uh, a few episodes out this year. Um, I, I love yeah. the BBC's reckoning though of why this is the case. With the BBC One controller, Charlotte Moore said. I've decided to schedule Stephen's big finale series for spring 2017 to bring the nation together for what will be a huge event on the channel. 2016 is spoilt with national moments, including the Euros and Olympics, and I want to hold something back for 2017. What? I know. I'd like to see the Venn diagram of the people that are, <laughs> that are interested in Doctor Who and the long jump. But, but, yeah, but, what, but, <laughs> but what is... A national moment is—is is that how long she rates England's chances in the Euros? There. <laughs> yeah, I must admit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it, if it was to hold it back till after England were out of the Euros, we could have had it July, couldn't we? This year, exactly. I know. I know. I know the the other teams of the United Kingdom are taking part this uh, this particular Euros, um, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't give a monkey's about them actually. <laughs> um, yeah, but surely it, it's a national event, not a moment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a weird turn of phrase. Um, the the thing is, though, it does to my mind seem that the the announcement was kind of rushed. There was no big build up to it. There's sort of like you usually get the when they announce anything about about um, Doctor Who, you get the BBC Doctor Who Twitter account. Saying big announcement, big announcement coming at midnight or something, yeah. and yeah, there was nothing. It just bang, that was it. It yeah. was there. It was I there just wonder whether say. someone did jump the gun with the radio times, and then it was just a bit of case of oh, okay, right, we're going then. Or didn't um, oh, I can't remember. Where I heard it now. It might have been on RFS actually. I think it was the Daily Mail was sniffing 
around yeah. with, with a headline that they were going to run on um, on the Saturday edition. They 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 they'd worked out that there was going to be no Doctor Who this year. That's right. Yeah, they'd yeah. found that out that there wasn't going to be anything till twenty seventeen, and was going to run that. And then obviously they decided. Well, someone someone decided. Well, actually, we know the full story, and we're going to get that out first. Yeah, which preempted this first strike really wasn't it from the from the radio times yeah. yeah um it's it's going to be an interesting time ahead that's all i'm going to say i think that the big thing that everyone's worried about really is whether uh capaldi will leave at the same time as moffat um yeah I, and the fact and the fact that we're talking two years time yeah does tend to i mean it could it could go build. either way it, it could it could be that this gives capaldi a bit more time to do his own thing because he likes, to, he wants to branch out and directing, so he might give him a bit more time to do that. Um, and then come back and, and do then, another two years of yeah, Doctor. yeah, yeah, he could do. I mean, who knows? Um, so we're all really getting is this spin-off show class this year, uh, which is really just going to be online content only because it's going to be broadcast on BBC Three. Yeah, uh, so that's going to switch over, isn't it? So actually, that's not too, when is that going to switch over? February, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. It's, so it's, yeah, it will it's, be within the next few. Weeks, I think. Yes, it is, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a very, very interesting time. But as as right now, we don't know what the future of Peter Capaldi is. We just know he's in Series 10. Uh, we've got a new companion to come. That's it. That's all we know. That is all we know. I have a bit on this article that catches my eye. It's something more about Charlotte Moore. It says, Moore, who next month takes over a super controller's job at the BBC. Does that mean whenever she enters a room, there's trumpets played? <laughs> it's a little fanfare. And, and throw rose petals in her feet every time yeah. she... <laughs> super, yeah, the... controller. super controller. <laughs> oh, I... They'd have to give themselves some grand titles at the BBC, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, uh, there we are. Actually, there's, there's one thing I'm going to say about Chris Chibnall. Let's give everybody a little bit of like pause for thought here. Okay, the people who've been slagging him off, saying you know, oh, his scripts are awful, uh, they're they're too simple, they always got voiceovers and everything. But think about what he did for Broadchurch, which has been—he's the showrunner for that, massively successful, and he can keep a secret. Yeah, which is I think which is key if you're going to be doing this job in the world of Doctor Who, because I don't think Moffat did too good a job on that. No, to a certain degree. No, he did like coming out and saying, "Yeah, it, for, for the for the finale of Broadchurch, did we get anything like you know, oh, you'll cry?" No, there was nothing. <laughs> he kept stum all the way through it. So just, I think all that naysayers, have just have a think about that. You, I'm um, fingers crossed. If he carries on it, it, with that mindset, mm. you'll know nothing about a new series of Doctor Who when he takes over. Yeah. You will know nothing about the finale. You will know nothing going into it, which will be brilliant. <laughs> and now you've said that, you watch. You Everything could be leaked. <laughs> exactly. It probably say that'd be Stephen Moffat's parting wise words to Chris Chibnall. So remember to tell the fans everything. <laughs> Just before, yeah, all, 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 all twelve episodes of his first season would be on YouTube before it's been broadcast. <laughs> Well, Sappy has a better track record of, of uh, than Moffat because a lot of Moffat stuff was uh, released, wasn't it? Oh, by the, yeah. yeah, by the BBC themselves. Yeah. yeah, to be fair, I don't think you can necessarily blame Moffat. Not that. really, but no, he's in charge, therefore he's at <laughs> <a> fault. Stops <laughs> there. Yes, oh, it oh, stopped with a super controller. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't see that bit of the article, but now <laughs> super controller. <laughs> okay, well, should we um, wrap up the super news there, Paul? Yes. Move, move on to a super review, shall we? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That may be going. So. <laughs> it might be pushing our, pushing our yeah. luck a bit. I don't think there'll be any fanfare there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so um, there we go. Um, actually, one thing I, we forgot to mention when we talked about Robert Banks, I just, I just remembered. Well, I meant to say this when we were talking about him. Um, in Robert Banks Stewart's honour, um, our next target novelisation review, which will be in a f- quite a few weeks' time now, um, but we're going to do Terror of the Zygons. Yes. Yes. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Very much looking forward to doing that one. So um, so that that so that's you know we've actually planned ahead there, Paul. Yes, it's <laughs> well, unusual for us. Yeah. So we, yeah. So that's what we're going to be covering for our next target novelisation. But coming up next is this um, target novelisation review, which is Planet of Fire. So uh, that's coming up very shortly. So another week then, that was the news. Okay, everybody, it's time for another Target novelization review. And this week we have picked a fifth Doctor story, Planet of Fire, written by Peter Grimwade. And um, for all future uh, target novelizations and they're not starting this week actually we're going to do something a little bit different because we're going to have um, a little extra of the book re- uh, uh, read out and uh, that's read out to us right now by John Michael Lindsay The view from the TARDIS scanner was positively idyllic blue sky, blue sea a sandy beach no evidence of any Trion activity Turlow began to feel more confident his hopes were dashed as the insistent, reiterating signal sounded again from the repaired communications unit. Is that the emission you heard before? asked the doctor. It might have been, prevaricated his companion. That isn't random. Turlow grew more depressed. There was no chance of stopping the doctor once his curiosity was aroused. Sounds more like an SOS. He hurried to the inn door. Get a fix on it while I have a word with Chameleon. The doctor ran down the corridor and into Chameleon's room. Well, Chameleon, what do you make of it? Doctor, the robot cocked his head politely. The signal. I hear no signal, said the silver creature. You must do, protested the doctor, observing the cable that led from Chameleon to the connecting block on the wall. I am not capable of inexactitude, lied his factotum. What about the other time, when you had your... Confusion, said the doctor, hoping for an explanation of the earlier occurrence. There has been no confusion, replied Chameleon, blandly. My function has never been impaired. The doctor stared into the unblinking eyes of the man-machine. Either the creature was being devious or there was a serious malfunction. He walked thoughtfully back to the control room to rejoin his companion who was only too relieved to see the chameleon chose to turn a deaf ear to the incoming signal. Did you get a fix? asked the doctor. There wasn't time, replied Turlow, seizing on the most plausible excuse. The transmission stopped. The doctor began to remove a small self-contained unit from the communications section of the console. If that signal transmit again, we'll get a fix on it with this. Checking the temperature outside the TARDIS, the doctor slipped out of his frock coat and opened the double doors. Wait while I go and change, shouted Turlow. He slipped through the inner door, then under the pretext of going to his room, ran up the corridor and into Chameleon's quarters. 
Chameleon pivoted round as the boy came into the room. Take care, Turlo. It is very hot. With your fair skin, you will easily burn. To the doctor's anxious companion, the inhuman monotone of his voice seemed to turn the advice into a threat. He stared at the robot, wondering what two-faced game it was playing. The custodians won't take me, he whispered defiantly. I'm going to stay with the doctor. I do not understand your concern. You heard the signal, shouted Turlo angrily. You set the coordinates. You're helping them. Chameleon stared back at him, as inscrutable as a waxwork. Turlo felt a surge of rage. He was sure the robot was laughing at him. He leaned forward, grabbed the cable that linked the chameleon with the TARDIS computer and pulled it sharply out of its socket. He turned back to the silver automaton. One word to the Doctor and I shall destroy you. Thank you very much, John Michael. Right, okay, it's my turn to kick off the review, isn't it? It is. It is, it is. Um, I don't know where to start with this one, really, because there's not a lot to it, to be honest, is there? Um, um. I, I mean, okay, you get a bit of a prologue of of the, of the Tryon ship crashing. I actually into the really sun. like that. What the, but... the, the, the 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 prologue? You like that? I bit? like the yeah. prologue. <laughs> um, no, I just from, yeah, just just from the for the two bits that it actually ties it together quite nicely. This this is a story of the outcome of two ships crashing. Yeah, and then well, I, I don't know. I mean, let's let's go through it because I, I think it was just sort of. I'm never a big fan of Planet of Fire anyway, apart from the the, the obligatory um, bikini scene with, um, with <laughs> Nic- Nicola Bryant. Um, but it just felt it was like just trying. To, it was obviously towards the end of like Peter Davison's time on the TARDIS. Um, it was Mark Strickson's exit, introducing a new companion, killing off the master as well, uh, and it just seemed to be t- trying to top a lot of dangling plot threads. Um, they, they just appear to be its job to do, if you see what I mean. I know what you mean. It it, it is really Turlow's story, isn't it? It is really, um, and, and, and the whole the whole thing about the you know, the the the, the Mesos Triangle comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's never been mentioned before that he's got this mark on his arm, um, and it just it's just there in this last story. So it's a little bit, to my mind, it's a little bit sort of Deus Ex Machina, really. But, but not much as contrived as, as returning the chameleon to get them. Oh, God. Well, that, oh, that's <laughs> one I forgot as well. Is it, it was to write chameleon out of it as well. Um, Shall should, should we, should we talk about chameleon right now? Let's get this out of the way. Because yes. um, they didn't do anything to really make the character any better in written form than it was in, in visual no. form, did they really? I mean, there was only one there's only one thing I noted, right? And it said Chameleon glided into the TARDIS control room. <laughs> Which is one the thing they could never get it to do. So. The only the only good thing the other good thing about the book is I think actually we didn't get the we you once you'd got past him being Howard in the TARDIS straight away. Yeah. Um we went straight we didn't get back to we didn't have that again, did we? In the book. It was either chameleon as chameleon or as the master. Yes. Yes. Which in the T V show we sort of had either him as Howard Foster or Exactly just the Master. Just There's to the get new... around well, it was to get around the constraints they couldn't get the bloody prop to work, could they? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It was Which um... actually, yeah, sort of Made or either, either that or they just they'd agreed the fee for Dallas Adams and they was going to get their money's worth. I don't 
<laughs> oh god. Yeah, I it, mean, it, it's. I mean, it, it, I mean, in the book, I mean, Comedian doesn't do anything other than what he really does on the TV. They give him a few more lines. Really, he seems to taunt Turlow a bit more, especially, um, particularly from the the, the, the the extract that John Michael just read out um, to, to to kick this review off. Uh, when he talks about his he's, he's fair skin, he'll get burnt. You'll get burnt, Turlo, you big ginger. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's fair game, I'd have thought, let's be honest. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> well, that's another thing as well, because the doctor calls uh, Turlo... Um, uh, you do have that bit, yeah. That, that, I thought that was actually quite a good... Yeah. Um, good we, bit in there. That... It's all to do about taking... Um, question about taking the sons. On, on board the TARDIS, and the Doctor calls him, uh, as, it, as it's written in the book, a racialist. Yes. Which I think was a word that Spike Milligan made up. <laughs> I don't think there's any such word as a racialist, is there? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But, um, yeah, that, that was that was particularly interesting. It was That was a, a, a weird weird way to take it, really. Yeah. And a bit, 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 I suppose, to be fair, I mean, he was saying that they're of no importance... Mm. really to him and he wasn't interested in whether they survived at that stage no no which i suppose really was typical turlow wasn't it because he didn't yeah. give a, a toss about anybody right, apart yeah. from himself yeah no um, yeah yeah. He, yeah once it, his only interest then was obviously if we're gonna say spoilers here but if you can't get to this far without doing it his brother and father wasn't it yeah yeah that's right i think there's i mean peter grimway seems i think to be taking out um I think he's got issues or something. He seems to be taken out on characters in this in this book as well because he, he makes um, Perry extremely unlikable in the book at the beginning. I mean, he relays on the the sport brat subtext. Yeah, in there, he really does. She's not likable whatsoever, and it's only when the book sort of goes on a little bit she sort of eases back on that somewhat. But to begin with, she's re- instantly dislikable. Yeah. The- Actually, that her her problems of being there are all of her own making. Yes, and it really is more, yeah, more so than actually, yeah, the the TV where she's tricked into going to the boat. Actually, the- what, what what the difference between the TV and the book is in the book, Howard is just basically trying to look after her by stopping her from being able to go off and with these two strange men she's never met before to Morocco. That's it, two two Englishmen she'd met or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, can't, you can't trust them. No, you can't, can you? <laughs> um, <laughs> and in the in the on the TV show, he's bit he's much more calculating. Mm. I mean, it, it's just really on the in the book, it's just he takes the opportunity to do it. Yeah, that arises. As in that he knows only really one more person can fit on the boat anyway. Yeah. So jumps on and leaves her, knowing that that will stop her going. Yeah. Whereas actually on the TVs, obviously he's more calculating in actually taking her out to the boat to leave her under yeah. the pretense of getting the wallet. That's right. Wallet. Yeah, he's, yeah, to pay for a trip or back home or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. What, what the what the point of it was now? But yeah, it, it was. Um... I thought that that was certainly a, a different thing to do, but he all seems to have a, like a, a, a big down on Birmingham as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Did you? Which is, <laughs> it, it was something like it was worse than Birmingham, wasn't it? He's talking about the Sun Planet or something. Yeah, he said so, the slag heap that is Sun was was only mildly more preferable to to <laughs> going to Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> he must have had a bad hotel experience there or <laughs> something. <laughs> 
Chelsea trying to get Telly Savalis to play in his Son, son, my kind of planet. <laughs> and he turned it down and he thought, well, he likes Birmingham, so that's that. <laughs> I'll get you, you Birmingham loving actor. It's my kind of town. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, just type in, on, go to YouTube, type in Telly Savalis and Birmingham. Okay, and you, and you also, could also could also give Chameleon the chance to turn to Telly Savalas and say, "I'd wear a hat out there." That sun's hot. <laughs> oh yes, the, the the permanent blue skies of Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's got a big downer on that. Um, I mean, he, he put he actually puts the master in a Burton suit. <laughs> As well, at one point, he just seems to have it in for everybody. I'm really going to make this sound cheap, but he could he could have had the master uh, as comedian in a Savile Row suit. No, in a Burton suit. Perhaps he liked Burton suits. He may he may well have been getting that Burton contract. Maybe that maybe they were sort of day day rigueur in there. But was it 1984? I don't know. Perhaps it was. Do we do we know for the TV? Episode who actually w- provided the the master's suit? Perhaps it was Burton's. Maybe it's Peter Grimwade. <laughs> there you go. Mind, mind the suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what though? I actually um, watching this story at, at the master's comedian. I wish they had put the master in a Burton suit rather than that awful penguin outfit they made him mm. wear. It just seemed to suit Ainley better. Yeah. Than the, than that awful um, <laughs> that really awful penguin outfit. You know, it just it just looked okay. You know, yeah, that's the yeah, that's the thing, really. But um, but yeah, I mean, the other things that sort of slightly uh, sort of changed as well was Perry's reaction when she sees the 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 mini master inside his inside his in Camina's control box. Um, she was a lot more sort of horrified and sort of visibly recoiled from him in the book. Where I think in in the TV um, version, it was just sort of bad CSO of appearing over the top of the box, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, actually, not as bad as when the Doctor and the other two, I can't remember the other two characters' names now, they they were appearing over, and the, the CSO was wobbling about all over the place. Nice. Yeah. It was terrible. It was really was bad. It would it would have made Barry, <laughs> Barry Lett's uh, heart sink, I think, seeing that. But, um, but um, yeah, no, there was other, other bits in that. Actually, they're talking about that, that scene with the Doctor and that, looking at the the little master. Um, <laughs> that sounds odd, doesn't it? That's you've got, that. you've the, got, the doctor was examining his little master. You've, you've got the, the tissue compression eliminator. It looks like a cock, basically. <laughs> and you talk about the, the doctor looking at his little master. <laughs> I'll try and, I don't think there's any way I can rephrase that. No, the, no, no. You, you, you've, anyway. gone, you've trod that path, Paul. That's it. There's, there's no <laughs> going it. back now. Um, and you have the one of the sons reaching in to to basically kill him. Yes, yes. And you get the thing about the the large the sweat glands and all that because you're small, making him sick and all. It's a really interesting. Way of doing that. I it was either it was either Amiand or Roskill, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. So, yeah. It's one of those two. I, I think who were, who were doing it. But um, yeah, it, it was. It, it did make it sound rather not a pleasant thing to happen. Being grabbed by a no. giant, basically. Yeah. It, it didn't, yeah. It didn't sound at all at all nice. Um, 
but actually quite a logical thing to that in that story quite a logical thing to happen more than them just standing there looking at him and talking yeah but you can understand the doctor would have been uh having to second thoughts about what to do but mm. for one of them to reach in and want to do kill that, him yeah exactly yeah yeah Oh, that was that was sort of done a bit a bit better actually. Um, also the threat of the volcano was greater in the book as well. Um, yeah, you didn't really get that get that at all in the TV version. It didn't, it didn't no. come across it, well, did it, it? it? It's a while since I've actually seen the TV version. Reading this, mm. and I must admit, my thoughts on that is that's going to be interesting. See how they come. See how they do that. Yeah, exactly. But actually, they didn't do too bad. I don't think they did too badly with the stock footage of a volcano. In terms of getting the no, the lava no. flows and that inside, no, I, I just think the the threat was played up a bit more. Yeah, in the book, which I think worked, it, it did work better. Well, I mean, yeah, you have the the Doctor and Amiend yeah. in in danger of the the flow, weren't it, from the lava and that. Yeah. Whereas in the in the TV series, it's just basically. That they they see Perry waving at them rather than her actually so saving them, which actually mm. also I thought was good in this because it actually sort of gives you a feeling then more of a obviously the Doctor is that sort of person, but then when you move forward to the Doctor saving Perry in the case of Andrazani, yeah, and putting his whole life at risk to save her, is the fact that he acknowledges in this book that she's already saved his life twice on meeting him. Yes, indeed. Which does give you more of a, an idea of why the Doctor would take her on board. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. Because otherwise, why would you take this sport American brat with you? You'd just, you just end up with another Tegan, basically, wouldn't you? Yeah. Forever whining. Well, she does whine and whinge a lot, actually, Perry. But, um, yeah, I, I can see what they were what they were trying to do with that one. They really were. But, um, yeah, at least, at least Perry became more likeable as the as the book went on. You know, you know for certain. Um, another little thing I, I quite liked um, as well was the mention of uh, Khan and the Sacred Flame, which did explain why the Master was trying to get to this flame on San. San Khan, maybe it's a twin planet. I don't know, but it it gave a bit more uh, to, to that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of just and, and to what the Master was hoping to do. Yeah, basically regenerating. That's what he was. What, that yeah. was the, that was the point to it, and. I don't know whether they couldn't do that in the TV serial for rights reasons. I, I, I honestly don't know. They just didn't think about it. No oh, idea. No. Well, I, no, I suspect. I suspect it was. I suspect that was the idea all along. Mm. As you say, I wonder whether there was either either some reasons not to, or it just didn't get to the final cut. Yeah, yeah. yeah it could be. I mean, that, it, could may, it? it may be that whoever was dealing with this just didn't want them harking back to a previous story and wanted it a bit more standard. I don't know. I don't know why you then put the master and then Turlo giving him the the ending to him as well. I don't know. You'd have to give some backstory there. You'd have to, I would have thought. I mean, I mean okay, you, you can get away with that in a book, really, can't you? A, a, a lot more than you, I suppose you could do on the screen. If you, if you get a bit too bogged down in continuity and, and referencing stuff that nobody had seen actually um because yeah. it, it, it was never repeated was it so right. um yeah i, I maybe they, they, that was that was a reason for it when i was going to understand that and maybe it was sort of the people who read the books because that was the only thing you could get was the was the target novelizations back then yeah so maybe it would just mean something to people who read the previous books which would make sense yeah really because it, it probably wouldn't do unless it was you know the the diehard fans 
1984 who, who were swapping those really expensive VHS copies about. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I think the other thing um, in the book is where they made the character Malcon just seem to be a lot younger. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the other thing I was going to actually say on this because I didn't know whether... When I finally watched it on TV, I didn't know whether I'd just imagined that I'd, for some reason I'd made him... I'd had him in my head as, a, as about 11 or 12. Mm. Whereas on screen, he's obviously late teens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know whether that was just how I'd imagined him. But you saying that as well suggests that there was stuff in there, perhaps that I could probably pinpoint if I went back through now, that says that he was much younger. Well, I think, I mean, also, the, the book. The, yeah, I mean, the character of Timonov was appeared to be older because he was had like white hair or something was described as yeah in the book and also because you've got the 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 uh, the nice dyed tash of peter of <laughs> peter peter wingard so um and i and i must admit that is the sort of i don't think that helps the tv series well peter TV. wingard yeah why'd you say that um just because i think that timonov was a more you felt was a more older and Probably more assertive. Well, whereas, did, well, did did you watch the extras on the DVD? I haven't. No. Right. Okay. Well, I did. Apparently, um, ball accounts. Peter Wingard was going to play it as an old man. Yeah. Um, with like, a, I, I think I'm right in saying with like a bit more old man makeup to sort of you know age him somewhat. And I think it was. Oh, I don't know if it was the the, the Fiona coming the director or. JNT said, "No, we we want we hired you because we want Peter Wingard." Mm. Yeah, so yeah, so that's where that came from. He he did actually want to play it as an as an old man. Okay, he was an old man then, really, was he? Wasn't in the. It was no spring chicken, put it that way, in 1984. No, but... it was no it was no spring chicken when he did the, <laughs> the Department S. To be honest, he always looked old to me, Peter Wingard. But oh, what? Well, not the the Playboy Peter Wingard. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh... Yeah, it's it's just he wasn't. Um, he was a bit too laid back and Peter Wingard, really, for yes, <laughs> for yes, my my yeah. views of. I don't, I don't. It probably isn't the. It's just the casting of him, really. I just don't. Well, think I, it, I don't. Th- I'm not. I'm going to say I don't think he was miscast because obviously he had his own idea what you wanted to do, mm. and he didn't want to do Peter Wingard. Yeah, um, he was just talked into it by the production team. Well, I think it's they're, they're the ones to blame on that. I think they they sort of hired him with the, as, as they said, with the intention of having Pete Wingard, which he didn't yeah. want to do. You yeah, know, oh, so. I'm, I'm not I'm not blaming him. I'm just blaming yeah. yeah I'm blaming the people who cast him because yeah. I just don't think it it necessarily worked. No, uh, um, just because yeah you you didn't really look at him and think a that he was either a religious overviewer you know mm. you didn't get that feeling that anything really mattered that much no exactly no no, no. <laughs> you'd got a feeling feeling if they he'd, he'd have been more worried if they if they if they was talking about throwing away the wine than, <laughs> than, than the yes. flames of wrath was going to come down upon them from logar actually talking of a winery thing there's one interesting thing about um the the doctor whilst he's waiting for waiting for turlow to finish buggering about with that uh, signal in the TARDIS and, and doing nasty things to Chameleon. Um, the Doctor's looking forward to a cool beer. Yes. And in the in the TV show, he's just sitting down in a glass of water, isn't he, at that uh, yeah. beachside cafe. But um, I was always interested in sort of like, you know, he sort of wants the Doctor's to sit down and have a nice cool beer. 
which was anyone would want to do when they go to Lanzarote, really. So, <laughs> so a nice, cool beer in the shade. Very nice. Yeah. I just thought it was the interesting thing to do. I just thought it was a you know good, nice little turn. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because we, we're used to, obviously, Pertwee would have been would have been there with a nice bottle of white or something. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Sort of <laughs> nice bottle of claret or something would have. Uh, this cheese is most excellent, Joe. Now that it would have just been nice for him, yeah, to have had that. Oh, and yeah. you sort of had the, what I didn't like the TV as well. They had to put the comedy leaving some. Alien currency, didn't they? Oh yes, yes. for that, which yeah. obviously that was done away with, wasn't it? In the book, yeah, you didn't yeah. have it in the book because it wasn't necessary. Now, another thing that was done away with in the book is the master's final line. Yes, um, which is, "Won't you show mercy to your own?" Which apparently was going to be your own brother. Yeah, mm. um, I'm glad they cut the brother bit out of the TV version. I'm glad they cut the line in its entirety in the book. Yeah, yeah, because actually you'd have, you'd have felt then that the uh, in the book, I suppose, if he'd have put that in, he'd have felt perhaps uh, that he'd had to have finished the sentence. Yes, indeed, indeed, and I really don't think it was it was needed. I know they were, they were thinking about doing that when Delgado was going to bow out uh, with with Pertwee and playing at the Spiders. He was meant to be, you know, the he's meant to sacrifice himself to to save the Doctor, and it's meant to be, you know, revealed then he was the Doctor's brother. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think that, that would ever work, to be honest. Right. I really don't think that would ever work. And I'm glad they, they on both occasions where they sort of toyed with the idea, I'm glad they dropped it, to be honest. I really am. I don't, I, you know, and I'm glad they dropped it in its entirety. Didn't even give you a hint of what the, his final words might have been. They just, you know, yeah. raised that entire sentence, which I'm okay with. <laughs> I really yeah. am. Yeah, because he left it open that they could have said, oh, no, he's just going to say your, your own kind or. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, as we've been sort of discussing this, I mean, I suppose Peter Grimway did put it in quite a bit more that he possibly wasn't allowed to do um, in in the, in the TV version. But I, I still don't rate it as a story that much, really. No, I mean, I, I didn't mind it. I don't mind it. I don't. I probably actually enjoyed the book more than I did the TV series. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, Ainley overacts badly when he's when he's the chameleon master. Yeah, there's a lot of wide-eyed gritting of teeth acting well, going well, on. There's, isn't there, the, so. there's the when he first comes into the hall, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> the, the wretched, you wretched. Yes, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just interested, actually. I'm just looking at the um, the, the wiki page for uh, Planet of Fire. Have you looked at the section on, on reception? Yes. Um, now we'll, we'll read this out actually because. Um, at the time, right for the Patrick Malkern, who was a, um, a critic for the Radio Times, wrote, Peter Grimway laced his script with homosexual subtext, a note in particular the male eye candy on display, and claiming old sage Timonel's mentoring of Kello Youth Malcon has a hint of pederasty, <laughs> and also commenting on the unmistakably phallic object hauled from the seabed, fondled by Howard Curtin Perry. Um, would you agree with that? Uh, for, for, no, to be honest. No, me neither. Oh, no, no. I, I, I would say that the the the, the, uh, the object is is unmistakably phallic. phallic. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that as yes. I but say no, that. I didn't necessarily at any point of this story read through and think that it was. This is so gay. No, n- yeah, not, not once. No, no nothing. Nothing no. actually. I was actually yeah. I, I sort of looked through the 
the wiki entry afterwards, and I sort of looked at that and I thought, really? Did I miss that? No, I, I didn't get. Okay, there's there's a lot of many short shorts in, yeah. in this. Um, yeah, and one one of them did have a rather tight pair of shorts. <laughs> I suppose it was to balance out the Perry bit. I suppose. Well, exactly. There's something for the there's something for, for the mums everyone. and the dads there. There you are. So yeah. for, for every whatever floats your boat, it's all there for yes. you. There you go. Um, and of course, Turlo and his speedos. So there you yeah. are. Um, yeah, I mean, that the one yeah, thing, yeah, but I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's it, it was any more <laughs> whether we were just too much concentrating on Perry to not to notice yes. any of the others. I don't know. <laughs> now, I've got a feeling that, um, now one of the actors, I'm always sort of distracted when I watch. Um, Planet of Fire because one of the actors in it um, I think it's the Roskill played by Jonathan Kaplan I don't think it's Amiens is the guy who puts on the is, is Amiens the guy who puts on the um, the suit the suit at the end yeah okay it's definitely Roskill I'm talking about because um, the actor Jonathan Kaplan played he was in The Young Ones right um, in the oh I think it was interesting was the uh, was the episode, and he plays uh, the hippie knight, right? So I always, every time I see him, I, I just keep thinking, "Oh, that's beautiful, hippie knight." Every time he cut, he appeared on screen. That's all I could think of, and him going "Foldy Roady Ray do day." <laughs> <laughs> that's all I could think of every time he appeared on screen. So, um, but that's my own, my own personal cross the bear, Paul. So. <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's all right. I, I'll get through it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, as we've been talking about it, I mean... He, he oh, did, the, the other thing, to... actually, sorry, I, I yeah, will sorry. still remember. Another, another bit I thought was quite explored upon, just a little bit more in the book that was better, was uh, when Timonov talks about having seen, seen as you mentioned about the, per- the space suit. Yes, yes. As a young man or a boy. Yeah. He'd actually seen what the, the person there. Mm-hmm. And you had them, you know, sort of saying about oh about him going he was saying does it surprise you that i was young once which i thought was actually quite a good yeah because all that bit go in there. Say, that's forbidden you're not allowed up there you sort yeah. of chastise us for going up there and yeah he said as you said yeah can't you believe that i was young once and, and foolish like you as well yeah sort of thing yeah so yeah he did try to give a bit more of a backstory to those those characters really because they were sort of fairly one-dimensional on on, on the screen to, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do that. think Timonov comes across as a more a, a, a better character in the book. Yes, you can sort of see where where he's coming from on that. Well, there's there's a he tries to give a bit more of a, a reason for his you know for being a zealot really. Yeah, whereas in the book he's just a one dimensional zealot. I yeah. sorry, on the on the TV sorry, he's a one dimensional zealot. Um, <laughs> Lounge zealot. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Did. You, <laughs> you imagine sort of hanging around the casinos on Khan. <laughs> or San, sorry, I'll get myself confused now. <laughs> I'm having a bad night here tonight. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh by God, but you're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do get that's that's the other thing about Timon. That, that is the thing about her. you do get the feeling, yeah, that uh, when everyone has gone, him and the other elders are <laughs> playing cards in the back. Exactly. And he's and he's beating them all as well. Yeah. He's cleaned them all out at, at Baccarat, or whatever you call it, Baccarat. Baccarat. He's cleaned them out at Baccarat. <laughs> yes, sir, I can boogie. <laughs> so. Oh, dear. No. I yeah. think, yeah. No, and I think, and I think also, 
Malcolm as a, as a as a as a young boy, you can understand him being a bit more in awe of what he's supposed to be doing. Mm. Yes, like, I mean, you know, as, as if you do think of him as more of eleven or twelve year old, the fact of having to sentence people to death and whatever. Whereas you know, he just comes across as really wet in the. TV. <laughs> he does a rock wet blanket, isn't he, on the TV yeah. version? <laughs> you just want to give him a slap, don't you? Yeah. Whereas I think in the book it's more understandable that this is a this is a kid. Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing as well because he was some it was his first his, his first TV that actor. Yeah, um, and he was incredibly wooden as well. Unfortunately, it was Edward Highmore. Um, so he, <laughs> yeah, so and he, he had quite a pivotal sort of part in the story, really. And he didn't really sort of pull it off, if you know what I mean. And as you say, he come across so unbelievably wet. Yeah. As well, um, which I think, it, it, as we said, if he was younger, like as he appeared to come across in the book, I think that wetness might have worked a bit better. Yeah, it, it just would have been an innocence of yeah, innocence of youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Precisely. Oh, the other, the other <laughs> I'm just throwing things up now. I really should have made a list. Really, um, <laughs> the other thing that I felt was good in the book was that they only had knives mm. in the book and primitive weapons. Yeah. Um, other than the elders are given what they think is ceremonial sticks, which the master realizes are, are actually laser guns. That's right. Yeah, and, they, and teaches them how to use them. Yeah, which is which just, is then why they're they're very trigger happy. Exactly. They're, they're later just, on, they just seem to use them in the in the TV one, don't they? There's yeah. no yeah. There's no training or anything. It's just so. yeah. They're they're just there. The the rebels have got guns. Yeah. In the TV. And they've got they've got weapons, and you just think it's not it works much better when they none of them have seen laser guns before. Yeah, precisely. And that's why they make the mistakes they do with them, like shooting him and whatever. It's because they're nervous around; they don't understand the weapon. Yeah, that's it. And I, I do like sort of um, one thing that's in the TV and in the book as well is sort of Timonov going, you know, there's been enough killing. Even mm. he, at that point, he's. I think that's that comes across better in the book as well. He's actually sort of quite appalled. Yeah. Um, when people are, are, are killed, so yeah, he's you know we, we're not killed in a, in a ritual burning that he's organised, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, not 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 killed for the greater good of the of, of appeasing God. No, it's just the senseless as yeah. he sees it, a senseless death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So, um, anything else you want to bring up? Because I I've pretty much said what I want to say really about yeah. it. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The other thing, yeah. getting back to then. Uh, and getting back to the spacesuit as well. Mm. In the book, you have they re- he Timonov is not going to go onto the ship. No, he's, he's going to stay behind, and probably the elders are going to stay behind. Mm. And they realise this. And when he when he, um oh which one did we think was the Amiad? Yeah, Amiad walks in in the spacesuit. Mm. He gets him to tell them to go onto the. That's right, he does. The ship, yeah. as, 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 the, as Logar himself. Yeah. Not not sort of like to further taunt them. No. As, as he does in the TV version. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas he just whips off the helmet and says, see, look, there's not a god. Yeah, exactly. We're back to that homosexual subtext again. He whipped off the helmet and... It's... <laughs> <laughs> Looked at his little mast. <laughs> oh, God, should we leave that there now? <laughs> I think we shall. So, I, I, I mean, if you like Planet of Fire as a story, I'd say read this book. Yeah, really. I think the book's better than the, the TV. It is, yeah, 
yeah, I mean, I, I still don't don't particularly like the story other than for one good reason that it introduces Nicola Bryant in that in that scene. But um, yeah, so there you are. So that, that that's our that's our recommendation. Read the book if you like the story. So and, <laughs> yeah. and visualize that scene saying. in your mind. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that's your recommendation. Just watch that scene. <laughs> oh dear. The oh, rest is just words. It's just yes, it's words and Peter Wingard. That's it, really. Yes. So um, anyway, coming up on the next podcast, which will be in uh, two weeks' time, we're back to our ever-ongoing Series 2 retrospective. Yes. My God. When was the last time we did one of those? That's back in August? Must have been, August, yeah. September last year? My God. Um, yeah, so we are <laughs> we're up to that ever-popular point in Series 2, because next time when we come back, we're going to be talking about love and monsters. Yes. Hmm. Has time been kind to it? Is all I'm going to say because I haven't seen it, it since, no longer. Yes, because I haven't seen it since broadcast. No. I actually, when I got the box set, I <laughs> I skipped through this one and then fear <laughs> her. <laughs> yes, I skipped through both of those. So um, a lot of people seem, seem to have um, given it a bit of a, a, a reprieve over the years. I wonder if I'll, I'll, we will follow suit. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Well, we've got two weeks to find out, everybody. Two weeks to find out for yourselves and us as well, actually. So, yeah. yes. Okay. So uh, that that's it then for this week, isn't it? It is. It is. So um, that leaves just to say goodbye then. So until next time, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.